want you to write down, if you can for me, a number that would describe the quality of your life between the number, say, between 1 and 10 or between 1 and 100. Write down the number that you would say, this is the quality of my life compared to how I think my life should be. And go ahead and really quickly write down that number somewhere, and we'll come back to that as we go through the the rest of the service today, but I'm going to start by helping you with a, a little game. We're going to play a little game that probably most of us are familiar with. I have a, a number of grandchildren, so I have been reacquainted with this game. How many of you remember the game <clears throat> Simon Says? Yeah. Does I remember that name, that game? Okay, so let's play the game with me to see. You can watch your neighbor to see if they actually remember how this game is played. Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon Says, touch your ear. <clears throat> okay, go ahead and touch your knee. Ooh, anybody, did anybody see their neighbor go ahead and touch their knee? So we remembered then, as we were doing this, to just play this game. Everything I needed in life, I learned in kindergarten. Well, can I tell you something that the Simon Says example that we're going to go through today uh, is the game of life. It's how you live a quality life. How do you change that number that you wrote down? Let's say that you put the number five down. How do you turn that number into a six? And as we, ta- as we start the, the series, as many of you know, we're beginning the, for the month of October, we're going to be talking about this concept of toxic, that being referring to the thoughts and the ideas that float through our mind that aren't necessarily life-giving thoughts and concepts. Those concepts that we would consider to be, in our modern vernacular, toxic. And so a definition, if you flip over, if you were to flip over in your, to Google or to somebody like that and talk about a definition for toxic... Toxic is, uh, Webster says, it's containing or being poisonous material, especially when it's capable of causing death or serious debilitation. It's extremely harsh, it's malicious, or it's harmful. And so we recognize that there are certainly ideas, concepts that float through our minds all the time that we would consider to be harmful. They're debilitating. They paralyze us. They make us afraid. They steal our dreams. They cause us to be hopeless and it pours our energy out on the floor so that we don't have the ability to take another single step. And we recognize that these toxic thoughts are part of everybody's life. And the rating that you, give your, you gave yourself, if you have the, have the guts to take a quick look at it again, the rating that you gave yourself of the quality of your life is directly related to how few toxic thoughts are going on in your life. So if you gave yourself a four, it means that you have more toxic thoughts than you have positive thoughts. If you gave yourself an eight, you have more positive or healthy thoughts than you have toxic ones. Uh, One of the things that we do with our, uh, excuse me, what do we call them again? Our slaves, I mean, um, participants that were here at the Encounter Weekend We get them before they start to fill out a a quality of life questionnaire. I don't know how many questions are on that thing, probably 50 or 60, perhaps even 100 questions that get them to go through every facet of their life and rate themselves on a zero of one to 10 in that particular question. And I would be able to take that to them and if they were to score an eight in that particular area, then I could tell them, well, you have a lot of healthy thoughts in this area. If you scored a four, well, you got a lot of toxic thoughts in that area. It's literally a direct correlation between the quality of life that we experience and our ability to get rid of the toxic thoughts 
uh, around that particular subject. And so the, what's crazy about it is that it has nothing to do with how our life actually is. It is simply about how, what is the relationship between healthy and toxic thoughts in our soul. But can I tell you something? I haven't told you any news today. Everybody knows that there is a difference between negative and positive thoughts, between healthy and toxic thoughts, between positive and negative emotions. But let me tell you something. If we can discover today how to move the needle, even the smallest amount in our thoughts and emotions, we will coincidentally move the needle in the quality of the life that we experience. When Isaiah was here, he prophesied about this person, Jesus, and he referred to him as the Prince of Peace. I'll suggest to you that we all use the terms positive and negative when we're dealing with our thoughts and emotions, but it's really more accurate to say that there are toxic thoughts and there are peaceful thoughts. Because it doesn't have to be good. The thoughts that I have in my mind, I, maybe I have to go home and clean the bathtub. Well, that's not a particularly good thing. But my relationship to that activity does not have to be negative. It doesn't have to be a toxic way of thinking about cleaning the toilet or cutting the grass or changing the oil in my car or anything. Those are all things that maybe you'd not want to spend your life doing. But it doesn't mean that those thoughts or emotions have to be toxic. They can be just as life-giving to embrace some of the more difficult parts of our lives. That's why it doesn't matter how difficult your life is. It matters what relationship your thoughts and emotions have towards that thing. And so Isaiah says about Jesus, he's the prince of peace. That's great. Because what we need to do then is we just need to come to a church somewhere. We need to pray a simple prayer. And all of a sudden, all of our toxic thoughts and emotions will be gone. Now, everybody in this room for sure knows that's not how that equation goes. And so in order to do that, go ahead and bring that door over to me, guys. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to begin to understand the nature. Why is it that human beings have these things called toxic thoughts? How does our soul work? Like, what are the realities that are going on inside of our soul? And as we begin to discover those realities, I'm telling you, we are going to gain amazing mastery over these things called toxic thoughts. It's not really even that difficult to understand. No, just let me, let me do it. It's not really that difficult to understand how the whole process works. First of all, Bible tells us that we are a three-part being. We are a spirit, soul, and body. All those three things all make up what is the, the, the uh, whole anatomy, if you will, of a human being. We've, got, we've done a little bit, maybe a little bit that's off, when we've said, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. But that's not exactly how that anatomy works. It's better to say that I am a soul, the consciousness, the identity, the personality, the memories, all that makes up Ian is contained in his soul. That soul lives 
in two different bodies. One, I live in the natural realm, and the other one, I live in the spiritual realm. And so as we are understanding, the reason I had them make me this little door, I mean, I'll try to, uh, uh, let's assume that it's in the middle of the room since the pulpit's kind of in the way. And so we can look at it then, how will I do this? Go like this, okay? So when we're born, stay where you are, spring-loaded. Somebody can, somebody can hold it just so that I don't hurt myself and as I'm giving you this example. Sorry, got to get all the props out of the way. Okay, so when I'm born, what happens is, is that my spirit, my soul is connected. It's kind of like I'm born in the doorway. My soul is completely connected to the spiritual realm, and it is completely connected to the natural realm. Now, what difference does that make inside of us? Well, the important reality that our soul has is that my soul only perceives the natural realm through my natural body. That means through my five physical senses, I'm able to understand the things that are going on in the natural realm. At the same time, my soul through my spiritual body is able to perceive things that are going on in the spiritual realm. And so as I begin to learn, as we are raised up as children, we have this concept of the wholeness and the immensity of the spiritual realm, as well as we are learning about the natural, the physical, the, the, the world that I dwell in on the, in the natural place. And so what happens to us as we grow up through nature, who I, became, who I was born to be, my personality, maybe the things that came through to me through my genetics, through what came through to me through my family tree, and then through nurture, through my, my parents and my siblings and my community and my brothers and sisters, the schooling that I went to and all of those type of things. As I am a child and I perceive this natural world that I'm looking at, I'm beginning to understand through all of those, those instructions and all of that information that is coming to me, I'm learning about how all of this realm works. But remember that my, my physical body only perceives facts. At the same time, I am growing up in my spiritual life and I am beginning to observe and, and pick up data that is coming through my spiritual eyes, my spiritual nose, my spiritual touch or whatever the senses are that are in my spiritual body. I'm perceiving all of that stuff, what's supposed to have happened is that through my nurturing environments, my parents and my church and my, my time with my, I'm supposed to have all of this understanding of what I'm exactly am I perceiving? What exactly do I seeing here? What exactly is going on? Most of us will recognize, yeah, we didn't get any of that. And so we're, we're sometimes, and we're even confused by it sometimes because you maybe your small child comes to you and say, mommy, will you pray for me? Because there's a monster under my bed. And you say, there's no monster. No, no, there's a monster under there. <laughs> they perceive the presence of something that as adults, we don't perceive. And so we say, don't be so silly. There's nothing there. No, they know something's there. They're looking up in the corner, like into the middle distance there. And you're wondering, is my kid just zone out? No, 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 there's something there they're looking at. You don't see it, maybe. My parents maybe didn't see it. My teachers maybe didn't know about this. And so I was looking at it, but nobody else seemed to pay any attention to it. So I guess maybe I should pay no attention to it too. Oh, you're such a dreamer. You're such a dreamer. You got, all you do is dream about magical places. And 
yeah, you shouldn't do that anymore. You need to grow up. You need to start dealing with uh, facts. And what happens to us is that this world, which we are just as familiar with as children as we are with this world, but people train us how to live in this world. They train us about these things called cold, hard facts. What they didn't do is teach us about the infinite potential that existed over here. All of us in our brilliance, when we grow up, we soon find our place in the history of mankind to eat our own apple, as it were. We decide one day that we're going to rebel against the instructions that we were given. We're going to sin. A terrible thing that happens when we sin is the door closes. Now, your spirit doesn't die. Your spirit, oops, kind of goes into a coma. Now, I need you to understand, for somebody who goes into a coma, there isn't anything that went wrong with the body. Where it went wrong is in the soul. It's in your brain. You're losing, you've lost your ability to, to have your senses pick up data that goes into your soul. And so, Alex, if I get you to come up here for a sec, let me get you to lay down on the stage here. And let's say that Alex's body is my spiritual body. Like this? And, yeah, just lay on your back. And now, uh, uh, who can I, Mike, if you can come up here for a sec. And now, imagine now we would, be one, we would be one physical body. He's my spirit and I'm in this natural realm. But he has now gone comatose because I have sinned. So can you kick Alex in the shins for me for a moment? Go ahead, give him a good one. There you go. Can I tell you, I cannot feel that at all. Can you just, can you slap him in the face for me just for a moment? I didn't feel that at all. You see, this is what, <laughs> this is, thank you, Alex. This is what happens to us when we close the door. We used to be able to perceive this stuff almost completely. And vividly, in, 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 in beautiful technicolor and four-dimensional Dolby digital sound. But then all of a sudden, what we didn't realize is that one day that we stole that cookie, when we knew we shouldn't, we shut the door. Now, what happens to us when we shut the door? All of a sudden, now, the only realm that my soul can perceive things from is the world of the natural. This whole world is now blind to me. Well, the world of the natural only perceives facts. Cold, hard, indisputable, finite, weak, alone facts. I'm seven at this time. I'm ten. What happens inside of my soul that creates all of these toxic thoughts is when I realize that I am weak, I'm vulnerable, and I'm alone. I actually am not. I'm still just as much this enormous spiritual being that I was before. The only problem is I'm beginning to forget. You know, Pastor Tina and I were away uh, on a ship for, the, for a, a bit ago, 
And this ship, I don't know why it was like this, but it only had one particular news station on it, which I will not name, but it's three letters. <laughs> Two of them are N's. And all I'm listening to, whenever we have the opportunity, you know, we had, we had the, uh, an oldies movie channel and we had this news channel, so, you know, we kind of had to balance it off there. But it was funny how after a little while, you start to become convinced that the perspective that's being given to you on one particular news channel is actually the way things are. Can I tell you something? That's kind of how it happens when we are going through our seven years old to 20 years old kind of time. We used to be completely convinced about the enormity and the inf infinite nature of our lives. That if we want to be an astronaut or Superman, or if we want to go to Mars, or if we'd like to be whatever it was that, that was part of our childhood time, all of a sudden now we're realizing, well, yeah, the world just doesn't really work like that. The world is this world, the gray one, the dark one, the one filled with limitations, the one filled with shortage, the one that's very busy pointing out to me how weak I am, how vulnerable I am, how stuff doesn't seem to be able to turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. It doesn't seem that I'm really the master of my own fate. It seems more like I am just a molecule floating in some cosmic river, unable to control the outcome of anything. That when I need help, there's no one to help me. When I need company and companion, there's nobody there. It's proving to me day after day that I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, and I'm alone. And therein is the beginning at seven years old of this thing called toxic thinking. It isn't real at all. It isn't necessary at all. It's simply because you're physical body, the only one that you can gather data from is only perceiving data coming from the facts. Somebody tries to talk to you about how infinite your potential is, how limitless your life is. And it seems just like a fairy tale. That's just a fairy tale. That's just churchy talk. That's just my mom trying to encourage me. I've become convinced that the world is in fact made out of concrete. And that's the genesis in each one of our lives of these things called toxic thoughts. In John chapter 10, the Bible talks about Jesus. It describes him as a shepherd it des describes him as a gate. It describes him as a door. So each one of us are in this place where our, this, this spiritual world is completely locked out to us. Our, our soul has now become completely convinced that the only world that is in existence is this one. That's the only one we've ever perceived. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes into our life and he says, I'm looking to save your soul. 
What does it mean to have your soul saved? It means that there is a whole part of your soul that has gone comatose. It, can no, it can't perceive the, 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 the inputs, the data that is coming from an entire half of your being. And when Jesus steps into our lives, he opens the door. Now that doesn't mean, I've, you know, I've, if you know anybody that's ever been in a comatose time, Sometimes we put people into that because of some issue in their life. Sometimes it happens because of an accident. Sometimes because of an infection or disease or whatever. But can I tell you something? If you've been in a coma for more than just a few days, just having the door opened really doesn't help us a lot. I mean, it helps us because, heck, it's open. How many of you have ever slept on your arm? Well, you know what it feels like when you wake up in the morning. I get it. All of a sudden, you know, this. there's somebody else in your bed. It takes a little while, doesn't it? And it might be a little tingly. It might actually not feel awesome for a little bit. As the senses that are coming from this once comatose arm comes back so that your soul is connected to your hand. If you've been in a coma for a while... In fact, your soul forgets after a few days, a month, two months, you have, to, you have to teach yourself to talk again. You have to teach yourself to walk again. A couple of months, you have to now relearn how do I perceive things from the infinite? How do I perceive them from the world of abundance? How do I perceive them from the world of possibilities when I have lived so long in the world of impossibilities in the world of I can't in the world of nobody's ever done that before you see what Jesus did for us is he opened the door but what's the possibility now of me being able to step into that. Because if I'm looking for positive thoughts in the middle of my difficult situation, I need to get to the other side of that door. I can't find them over here. This is the world of concrete. This is the, the world of straight lines and 90 degree angles. I need to get over there where things are possible. I need to get through that door where the limitlessness of God and all of the potential that he holds in my life is available for me, but I'm, I'm sitting over on this side. And I've spent too much time over here. What do I do if I get trapped in a negative thought when it gets hold of my mind? What happens if I can't find a positive thought anywhere in my mind. It kind of feels like quicksand. That one, the situation is there and I deem it as impossible. I deem it because I feel weak, because I feel vulnerable and alone. I deem that situation as impossible. There's no way I'm going to get out of this. And that thought process begins in my mind. I'm not smart enough at that point. 
to head for the door. I do what everybody does. I try to figure it out myself. I try to find my positive thought for the day. And meanwhile, I don't realize I'm six inches into a pit of quicksand. And the more I wriggle, the deeper I go. Slowly but surely, I might have been able to make it to the door in the beginning of the process. But I sat here for 10 minutes. I waited. I thought I could find the answer in the concrete world that I am perceiving all around me. Slowly but surely, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I don't believe there's anybody here to help me, so I, I don't reach out to anybody. I don't get help. I don't really think I'm able and competent. I don't think I'm strong. I don't think I have mastery over my world. But I sit there and I think, and I feel, and I think, and I feel until it's no longer possible for me to get to the door. I'm here to tell you, all you need to do is jump. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Whatever one that is that you can feel it, it is enormously nuclear power on the inside of your heart to snap your mind back into the place that it needs to be. Amen. Number two, you need to say three things that you're grateful for. That's good. Don't worry about what they are. Say your whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm grateful how well peanut butter goes with bananas. All that that's going to do is that's going to ignite gratefulness on the inside of you. It's going to get your mind out of the rut and into that direction now. When I'm now moving, I'm up out of the quicksand. When I start being grateful, I start moving towards the door. Number three, Psalm 136 says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Focus on the fact, if you go the rest of one th Psalm 136, it starts to talk about because he made bananas and peanut butter, it's because God is good and his mercy endures forever. He got me out of that problem two years ago. You know why he did that? Because he's good and his mercy endures forever. You know that situation that I came up with yesterday? He got me out of it. You know why? Because he's good and his mercy endures forever. What are you doing as you are focusing? You're not focusing on the problem. You're not focusing on the situation. You're not focusing on this hard concrete world that you're perceiving all around you. You're focusing on the unlimited potential of being with Almighty God as he unleashes that potential into your life. That word mercy there, for his mercy endures forever, is the word chasid. That word means loving kindness. It means favor. It means 
kindness and passion. And he is unleashing that uh, loving kindness towards you any way he possibly can. God is good and he is unleashing unlimited potential in your direction. And then finally, we need to declare now that we're in this enormous place. Now, by the time we have got through doing a couple of those, God is good and his mercy endures forever. I'm telling you, you're going to be on the other side of that door. When you get to the other side of that door, all of a sudden now you can look through your perspective of the unlimited nature of the spirit and look at that minuscule tiny problem that you were almost dying over a minute ago. And you can start declaring the word of God over that thing, calling things that be not as though they already are. And then allow that thankfulness to rise up on the inside of your life. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of that problem, just like you took care of the million or so before that. Thank you, Lord, that it won't be long when I go back onto the other side that I can take that problem, put it in a filing cabinet, take it into the basement and put it with all of its friends. Because you've taken care of it, just like you took care of all the other ones. And what am I able to do all the while? I'm starting to learn again what it feels like to live on this side of the door. I'm starting to get familiar with what it feels like to live infinitely with unlimited potential, with an abundant flow. And it isn't, and the more I spend over here, the more I forget how hard and cold and concrete it is over here. You see, the same dynamic is in, is in effect. The more time I spend over here, the more I forget about what's over here. Now, I'm not denying it. I'm still going to pay my bills. I'm still going to take a shower because this thing stinketh. But I'm spending most of my time over here where life doesn't have toxic thoughts. These thoughts are life-giving. These thoughts are abundant. These thoughts are inspiring. And all I needed to do to get over here was jump. Put your hand over your heart and say, Heavenly Father, I'm going to learn how to jump, how to let Jesus unleash my praise. No longer am I the victim, am I the slave, the prisoner of toxic thoughts. All I need to do is let Jesus unleash my praise. I just need to jump. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. 
or you've known about him, but been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.